Good morning, saints. Yeah, I'm used to hearing you guys sing back at me. Um, so this morning, a little, you know, a little talking, a little something, something would help. And uh, David, if we could just get a little more audience lights. I feel like I am, uh, where's Sidron, illuminated. Last week's message, just tying things together. I feel like I am illuminated right now. But uh, I can't really see my fellow saints out here. So for one, let me just say thank you to Pastor Jade and Pastor Dan who uh, gave me this opportunity. I don't take it lightly. I believe that anytime we are on a stage that this is holy and hallowed ground and that there is a great responsibility for those who teach the word. And so I am, uh, trembling is not a good word. I'm not actually trembling, but in my spirit, I am taking this very, very seriously and I don't take it for granted. So thank you. And also, let me just take a moment to say uh, something not directly related to the message or about worship, but Bonnie and I have been here just a few months, and I just want to express my heart to you guys and say, for one, we love being a part of this family. And even though it's only been a couple of months, uh, we don't really view it any other way than we moved to Colorado Springs to join a family, not to take a job, not even to join a church, but to join a family. And we've had a lot go on in our lives this last year, and you have proven yourselves to be family. So thank you for that. I, uh, well, I'm going to get into some worship stuff here in, in just a minute. But one of the things that drew us to you and to this body is the, the nature in which you revere worship and, and the nature in which at this church we elevate the praise and worship of Jesus Christ. And it's not a token thing. It's, it's because our hearts in this place understand that there is power released from our mouths. Yeah, see, Pastor Jade knows I like people talking back at me. Come on, because he likes it when people do that to him. See, I love how this is reciprocated. He's sowing, he's so, somebody, you guys can't let me forget that next week. I have to talk back to him. Oh, he's not preaching next week. In January, it will happen. Anyways, so we love this church. We love the heart of worship here. We love the atmosphere here. And I'm more than excited. This is my excited face. I'm more than excited to, to live here and to be a part of this family. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Um, this morning, like Pastor said, we're going to talk about sound and how sound reinforces our traditions, but we're going to recap a little bit before this. So as the people of God, I believe it is our primary goal to be formed into the body of Christ so that we can rule and reign with him in the kingdom of God, bringing the government and the kingdom of God to earth. Uh, that was a really, really long sentence, but let me recap it and shorten it. I believe that our goal in corporate gatherings is to be formed into the body of Christ. There are many, many different things that we do. We give, we worship, we listen, we hear teaching, we pray, but what are all of these things doing? All of these things are taking the body of Christ and forming us, working the things of God and the kingdom of God into us and working the ways of empire and the ways of current culture out of us. And one of the main ways that this happens is through traditions. Uh, Pastor Dan said a couple of weeks ago that traditions, Christian traditions specifically, are vehicles that carry a substance of truth from generation to generation. They're a way to resist the value system of popular culture. And traditions force us to trade independence for interdependence. Come on, that's good, y'all. Hey, so, so practically speaking, when we are baptized into the family of God, 
which I would venture to say most of us are here, when we join the family of God, we trade in our independence and our individualism for interdependence, not codependence, but interdependence, where the well-being of each and every one of us rides and falls on the body of Christ and our leader, our King, Jesus. So when we come to the body of Christ, we're trading our independence for interdependence. And traditions are one of the ways that help us do this. So a couple of thoughts here. Uh, Another way of thinking about Christian traditions are they are like tour guides that lead us into encounters with things that are important. So as a kid, how many of you uh, grew up having certain designated times for family meals? Anybody? I did on Monday nights, my family on my mom's side would all get together at my grandmother's house. And that was something that was a tradition and it was scheduled. It has inherent value, whether it's scheduled or not, to meet with family. But we scheduled it because it was important and because it was valuable. This is one of the things that traditions does for us. Sunday morning gatherings. They are scheduled appointments with truth encounters. That's why we gather, is it not? This is a scheduled appointment. We say on Saturday night or Sunday morning or whenever other churches meet, of course, the traditional church meets on Sunday morning to celebrate the third day when Jesus was resurrected. So we have a truth encounter that is scheduled each and every week here. Communion is much the same. Communion is a time when it is scheduled that we will take of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and that we will meet with him. That's a tradition of the church. And it releases power when we understand why we're doing it. So people who don't like tradition, usually it's because they don't understand what the tradition is trying to release. It's not that they actually don't like traditions. So all that to say, thank you, uh, Bishop Sedron. Is he in the house? I saw him this morning for his, his message last week on light. So just a quick, quick recap. Sidron spoke about the power of light and how light illuminates darkness and lights the path. Jesus, of course, is the light of the world who was sent into one of the darkest times in human history where God had not spoken for more than 400 years. And there are traditions that we have, such as lighting candles, Advent candles specifically, putting stars on Christmas tree, lighting our house. We sing about lights, even throughout the year. We have these traditions that remind us that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. So this morning, we are going to specifically talk about the power of sound and how sound has the ability to enhance and reinforce our traditions. God has used sound throughout history to announce and inaugurate his work in the earth. Everything that God does is purposeful. We know that God is not a God of happenstance, that he doesn't just flippantly allow things, but everything specifically that he does is full of purpose. So if you would, uh, Elliot, go ahead and put Genesis 1. We're going to start at the beginning. Genesis 1 chapter uh, one, verses one through three. We're just gonna read from the very, very beginning here. I'm gonna point out something that I noticed in my reading. So I'm reading from the NIV. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Something I had never noticed before preparing for this message Did you know that when God speaks, let there be light, that there are not yet humans created to hear him say that? Okay, so I'm sure we all did recognize this. I'm probably the dummy in the room. But communication is 
transmitted and received, right? So when we talk, we speak, and we create the sound waves, ensuring that someone else is listening, receiving the communication. God announces what he's going to do when there's nobody or nothing that is able to receive what he's transmitting. This is interesting. Why didn't God just create light? Why didn't he just go with his finger or whatever? And I'm not going to claim to really know because I wasn't there and I haven't, honestly, I've never even asked him, but I am I am presuming, which is always dangerous in theology, I am presuming because he, because he is showing us that there is something inherently powerful about speaking and announcing something and then following through with action. So just by the science, okay, I'm going to give you guys time to finish your amens and stuff. I'm not used to that. I am not used to this. This is some good stuff right here. So scientifically, Sound in its essence shifts atmospheres. That's what it is. So if we picture sound, um, picture a placid lake. Sound is like dropping a, a rock into a lake and it creates waves, right? Ripples. This is what sound does in our physical three-dimensional atmosphere. So in the beginning, there is a perfectly still atmosphere. And when God speaks, it releases sound waves. And I'm doing this. These are waves. These are sound waves. Sound waves into the atmosphere, which is the first excuse me, the first movement, the first movement and action was that God spoke before he did, before he created. I believe that God did that because the nature of sound is to shift atmospheres. Literally, it shifts atmospheres. That's what it does. Our sound waves are constantly moving the air in the room. All right, I'm glad you like that. That's good. God inaugurated his good creation on the earth by asserting his will through speech. That is powerful. What does that tell us about our speech? When we purposefully use the power of sound and engage our hearts with what God is saying, you and I, as the people of God, have the ability to release the kingdom wherever we are. Let me read this again. So when we purposefully use the power of sound and engage our hearts, and let me add our spirits with the authority that we have been given from Jesus Christ, and we agree with what God is saying on the earth, we have the power to release the kingdom of God into atmospheres. Not just spiritually charged Christian church atmospheres, but families of broken homes, work atmospheres, cashiers that we speak to in the marketplace. And uh, this is the time of year when most of us are visiting stores more than normal. Just want to plant that seed there. So before we move on to a more biblical understanding of sound, I just very, very briefly want to talk about the scientific innate power within sound. Just some really cool facts. Uh, there is a guy named Julian Treasure who's one of the leading scientists on sound, and he actually studies sound in marketing. Why sound in marketing? Because how the senses affect people affect what they consume, which is of utmost priority to those outside of the kingdom of God, right? So this guy has a teaching, and he talks about how sound in its nature affects the human body in four ways. Number one, physiologically. So if a bomb went off in the back of this room, every one of us, without wanting necessarily wanting to respond, would respond with probably a faster heart rate, faster breathing, because hormones would physically be released into our body. Sound has the ability to physiologically uh, 
work in our bodies and change our being, our essence. Also psychological. Did you know that there are multiple but two specific sounds that are proven to suppress stress and release peace? One is the sound of chirping birds. I know that's what all of you are thinking. Chirping birds and running water, soft running water. They're scientifically proven to suppress stress and to release peace. There are malls and airports all around the world that subtly have in the background the sound of chirping birds that you would never notice if someone didn't point out to you. But the reason is because they want you to be comfortable there. So sound has the ability to psychologically affect us. Third, there is the, the cognitive affecting. So if, if I'm screaming in someone's ear, it is almost impossible for them to really listen to the person that is talking on the other side of them. Why? Because my noise is clogging up their ability to process and focus and think. Sound also affects us cognitively. And lastly, it behaviorally affects us. This one's for Pastor Jade. Did you know that listening to hip hop music when you drive actually does make you drive faster? Yeah, this is true. This is a proven fact. Sound can behaviorally affect us. It affects our behavior. Why does it affect our behavior? Because it affects us physiologically, psychologically, and cognitively. Man, I feel like if you could say those four words back to back, then you could say anything from a pulpit. So I feel a little better now. Just the last little scientific finding here, I just thought this was really neat. You may think it's, re it's really dumb. But if you grew two plants side by side, but played classical music next to one, it is actually proven that the one receiving the sound waves from the classical music would grow faster. All of that to say sound in its essence has innate power. Sound has power. It's not just something we do uh, because we have to. It has inherent power, and I believe that God designs it for us to use for his glory. Sound is a tool and it is a gift from God that we can use to partner and further his work on the earth. There are some Old Testament stories where the people of God use sound as a vehicle to release his power. Of course, you're gonna know these stories. One is Joshua and the battle of Jericho where there is the sound of trumpets and the sound of shouting voices, shouting praises unto, Lord, unto the Lord. Gideon whittles his army down from thousands to 300 and God uses the sound of trumpets blasting and cracked vases to confuse the enemy. The Lord uses David in the presence of King Saul to diffuse spirits of torment. Never says anything about David singing, although we would assume that he did with all the Psalms that he wrote. It was the nature of his instrument, get this boys, the nature of his instrument that actually brought peace and did something in the spirit to get rid of the tormenting spirits. Sound is powerful. The last example is Ezekiel speaking to dry bones. Ezekiel speaks to dry bones and two things happen. One, life is infused in the bones and unity is brought to the bones. Because scripture tells us that there is just a field, a valley of dry bones. So not only, uh, I just got this image in my head, this is really funny, of um, the Disney film, I think it's Fantasia or whatever that's called, where they're like doing the dishes and the dishes are all flying around and getting washed themselves. Okay, I, I shouldn't have told you what was in my mind. Yeah, but all that to say, could you imagine a valley of bones and Ezekiel speaks to the bones and they start coming alive and coming together, forming bodies, it gives life and brings unity. 
This is all the nature, this is all within the nature of sound. And the good news for us is that every one of us have the ability within us to partner with the work of the Lord using our sound. Amen? Amen. So how does sound work in the kingdom? As believers, we belong to a king who speaks and his voice marks the milestones of our faith. Some of these milestones, this is not an exhaustive list, but some would be creation, God telling Abraham to leave his homeland and go on a journey, and we are here because he said yes. Uh, The giving of the law on Mount Sinai, the Lord telling Samuel to announce that and anoint that David would be the king, Isaiah prophesying to the coming Messiah, and then eventually, of course, John the Baptist and Jesus. These are are some of the milestones of our faith, and the king's voice initiated each and every one of these. Every one of these. None of them happened without the king initiating them. So if you would, let's turn in our Bibles here to uh, the book of Malachi, chapter 4. I'll give you a hint. It's the last book in the Old Testament. It is right before Matthew. So if you get to Matthew, turn the pages to the right, and you'll be good. Malachi, chapter 4. The last two verses is what we're going to read. And it says, prophetically says, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah, Before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And then the voice of the Lord goes silent for more than 400 years, unannounced. The Lord didn't conclude this by saying, and now I will be silent for 400 years, or now the Lord will not speak. He just goes silent. Could you imagine being the people of Israel drawing your very life from the words of God. And out of nowhere, he goes silent for 400 years. So that is typically equivalent to 10 generations. 10 generations of people that did not get a fresh revelatory word of the Lord. Wow, that's amazing. So um, could you imagine, let's just put ourselves in, in those shoes. Could you imagine coming to church being the 10th generation. So for 300 and let's say uh, 99 years, there hadn't been a fresh word of the Lord in Antioch church, but somehow, some way us as a pastoral staff kept on doing what we're doing. Could you imagine the dread, the depression, um, the lifelessness? You think you've been to dead churches. Come on. You try going to a church that hasn't had a fresh word of the Lord in 400 years. Yeah, all right, so just to bring a little perspective, we needed to get that out of the way. You should be thankful for the life in this church, okay? I know right now I'm thankful. I'm the one up here, I'm really thankful. Thank you guys for being alive. All right, so let's pick up, let's turn it uh, in our Bibles to Luke chapter one, and we're gonna read a semi-lengthy passage from uh, eight to 17, verses eight to 17. I'm gonna go ahead and start, just catch up. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, be not afraid or do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you 
and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And key verses here, verse 17. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. We'll stop there. Could you imagine, I've asked that a lot, but could you imagine being Zechariah who is serving faithfully term by term, lighting incense before the Lord, the Lord has not spoken for 400 years and suddenly he's the one that the Lord truly breaks the silence to through an angel. How dare we point fingers at him of disbelief? I mean, if there had been 400 years of silence, it'd be hard for any of us to believe. Could you imagine? I want us to turn real quickly just to, oh, we're not turning anywhere. We're going two verses. I'm so sorry. We're going two verses down, verse 19. And then the angel answered, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. I've always thought it was interesting that Zechariah gets muted, but Mary, and then thousands of years before, Abraham and Sarah did not. And there are scholars who debate the nature of his question, but I really don't think it matters. Why? Because the scripture tells us that it was due to unbelief. What if, just let's ask ourselves this question, what if he was muted not as punishment, but as protection? What if he was muted as protection, that the Lord was protecting him from saying things that would be against the will of the Lord that had just been declared as him? And this is not just any man. This is a man of authority. He is the one lighting the incense before the Lord. The funniest part about this whole thing is that it says he was chosen by lot. Do you really think that it was happenstance that he is the one that is in charge, that is the human authority at that moment, that God releases his authoritative word to Zechariah in this holy space. And Zechariah is the man that, that now has the most recent word of the Lord in 400 years. And he, in his inner man, is struggling with disbelief. I believe the angel did him a favor. I don't know about you. I believe the angel did him a favor. And I think maybe the Lord should do us a few more favors on occasion. On occasion. Hey, I said us, okay? I said us. I'm part of us. I established that in the very beginning. I'm part of us. But a few verses down the line here, when Zechariah, when, when does he get his voice back? He gets his voice back when they're debating over what John should be named, and he writes on a tablet, his name will be John. And immediately, his voice is released, and he sings praise, a prophetic song is what it seems to be, unto God. Why that moment? I believe that, that this was protection for him. It was preventative that he was muted, and at that moment, he finally came into agreement with the will of the Lord, so it was no longer needed for him to be muted. Because there is power in our speech, especially for those in authority. 
a couple, hey, I'm coming. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. We got just a few minutes here. So something very similar happens to Mary. She is not muted. But when Mary receives the word of the Lord, Mary responds in song. Zechariah responds in song. In chapter two, the angels respond in song over the shepherds. There is a theme here. There is a theme here of our response to the word of the Lord being to come into agreement and proclaim in song to an atmosphere or in speech, but using our mouth to tell an atmosphere, we are in agreement with what the Lord says and we are the kingdom of God. We will not be stopped no matter what things look like. We sing songs at Christmas time, songs that some of them we even sang this morning. O come, O come, Emmanuel, joy to the world. Angels we have heard on high. Hark the herald angels sing. O come, let us adore him. What are these songs doing? Well, they're doing multiple things. One, they're shifting in atmosphere. We've already established that. Two, they're reminding you and me of what we actually believe. They are also an expression from our hearts to God. They are a a love gift from us to the Father. They are also bringing unity. Could you imagine if we came in here on Sunday morning one time and I just said, hey, for the next 45 minutes, I just want you to sing whatever song is on your heart. Ready, set, go. Now, we may all individually connect and minister with the Lord, but there would be no semblance of unity in this place. And God does his work through a unified people, okay? So in conclusion... God speaks and God is still speaking and longing for his people to respond and to partner with him, both in heart, in word, and in action, indeed. All three of these things matter. You cannot separate the heart from what we speak, from what we do as the body of Christ. When these three things are in alignment, we will see the kingdom of God in our city like never before. I truly believe this. So what sound does the world need from the people of God? What sound does the world need from the people of God? I've got four four things here. We could probably make an exhaustive list that would take thousands and thousands of sounds. But the first one I believe is the sound of hope. The sound of hope, not the sound of despair or fear. I believe that with our mouths, we can in our respective homes, our jobs, and the places that we shop, and in this place that we have the ability with our mouths to remind the atmosphere and the people around us who this king is that we serve and to release hope into individual lives and into atmospheres and regions. I believe that we can do it all. I believe we can do that all. Number two, the world needs the sound of peace. In this time, maybe perhaps more than ever, We need the sound of peace, not the sound of vengeance or retribution or anger or fear. We need the sound of peace. And one of the titles that Jesus is given in the Christmas story is the Prince of Peace. Jesus came to show us a new way to rule and reign. Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God is not built on violence and constantly just overtaking empires, but Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of God comes by laying one's life down for another. This is the way of the kingdom, and we must release the sound of peace. Number three, the sound of love, not the sound of selfishness, hatred, consumerism, individualism, but the sound of true love. A word released, a timely word released of encouragement to somebody who's hurting or broken. And in this time, believe me, there are plenty. There are plenty even in this room. 
If we use our voices to release the sound of love, this world will be a better place. And lastly, on my very short list is the sound of unity. This world does not need more division in the church. We don't need more church splits. We don't need more people in the church gossiping about each other, about the way that they hate their church, the way their church does things, or the way that they wish that, you know, other churches in the city would do things. We need to use our mouths to speak unity in the body of Christ, and that will change our world. In this season, the world needs more than anything is a people, the people of God who will speak hope, love, peace and unity to a world that is trembling in fear. This world is trembling in fear. The good news is that our voices have the ability to do this. We're not left with no tool. We have voices. And here's the best part about this whole thing. I believe that each and every voice in this place is unique and has a unique purpose and has unique value. In much the same way as we have multiple instruments up here, for instance, even just this keyboard alone has probably five to 700 sounds that are all unique and all used for different purposes. I can do things on that keyboard that Ben can't do on his acoustic guitar and Daniel can do things on the drums that I can't do on the keyboard. The point here is that every sound is valuable. Your sound specifically is valuable. Your sound is valuable in this corporate gathering. Yeah, Pastor Jay's like, would you please preach this for a minute? Your sound, your sound is valuable. Not only is it valuable, it's necessary for the complete work in this body that the Lord wants to do. He needs every one of us to come into agreement with what he's saying in our hearts and to engage our hearts when we release sound. For instance, in corporate singing, in the scripture reading, in the times of prayer, if you attend pre-service prayer, everything that you go to, you are saying, Lord, I'm submitting my gifts, my heart, my spirit to these people, to this venue. And I believe, Lord, that you have something you want me to give and to receive every time we step in those doors. And every time you step into your workplace, every time you step into your family room, every time you read the Christmas story over your children in this season, Every time you visit houses and sing Christmas carols, you are purposefully releasing your sound in agreement with the will of the Lord and it is shifting atmospheres. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so here's how we're gonna end our service. If you would, please stand to your feet. I am a worship leader, so we are going to sing. <laughs> Elliot, if you would put that first verse to O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We are gonna take the things that we have heard and we're gonna put them into practice. And I would like for us a cappella, just using our voices to sing. We're gonna sing uh, the first verse and then we're gonna sing two choruses. Something interesting about this song, I don't know if you noticed it, but the chorus in the beginning says, shall come to thee, O Israel. And then we sing the chorus again and it says, has come to thee, O Israel. So we're singing on both sides of the story. We're engrafting ourselves into the longing for the Messiah to come. And now we're singing in celebration that he has come. So here we go. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile year. 
until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come, shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come, has come to thee, O Israel. Thank you, Lord, for coming. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is in our midst and that Jesus is on the throne. Lord, would you help us to use our voices to release the kingdom of God into every atmosphere, over every life that we come in contact with, to release the sound of peace and hope and love and unity in this season. God, I pray that you would do a work in our city and in our nation and in our world, and would you please use the people of God and their voices. In Jesus' name, amen.